0: These are the gates of Prague Castle. They're impressive. Prague Castle is the largest castle system in the world. For hundreds of years, this castle has stood as a symbol of the power of the kings of Bohemia, and then later of the nation of the Czech Republic. Human leaders like to display power. For centuries, political leaders, dictators, kings, prime ministers, and presidents have paraded their military power in front of others. The gates of Prague Castle provide an artistic expression of human power. The gates are beautiful, but on them are statues that display sculptures of aggressive might. But those sculptures are lifeless. It's a reminder that human power is fleeting. Throughout history, men and women have come to power and sought to conquer others. But their power is limited And it never, ever lasts. Today is the second week of Advent. In Isaiah 9, we are reminded that Jesus is mighty God. His power endures. It is greater than the temporary power of politicians or of nations. We can have real peace because our God is a mighty God. He is able to do impossible things. Here's how Isaiah speaks about Jesus who existed in eternity past and was born in Bethlehem at Christmas time. Isaiah 9 says this, For to us a child is born, and to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of His government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over His kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Jesus is the one who brings real peace because He Himself is mighty God. There's no end to His government, to His kingdom. Think how many different people ruled from this castle or from the seat of government in your nation, places like number 10 Downing Street, the White House, the Kremlin, or the Hague, or whatever the capital is called in your nation. As impressive as they may be at times, their power does not last. Therefore, neither does the peace that they promise. It is at best for a season. But Jesus' kingdom will never end. He offers peace that surpasses our circumstances, that endures in trials, that overcomes even when our world is turned upside down by a virus. He is the mighty God, and the increase of His government, of His kingdom, and of His peace will never, ever end. Today we're going to look at one of the most beautiful passages in all of Scripture. It is Mary's song sometimes called the Magnificat because of its translation into Latin. It's found in Luke chapter 1. Mary writes a song that expresses the greatness of our mighty God. It is filled with praise, with prophecy, and with a message for each and every one of us. If you have your Bibles, I want you to open to Luke chapter 1 starting at verse 39 and read along as we explore the mighty God whose kingdom will not end. Jesus Christ.
1: At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb. remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever just as he promised our ancestors mary stayed with elizabeth for about three months and then returned home
0: mary's song is beautiful it weaves together the greatness of god and the depth of human need into a beautiful tapestry of praise. Skeptics sometimes question whether Mary, as a teenage girl, who likely had little education, could have written such a beautiful song. But Mary would have grown up singing the songs of Scripture. She would have sung the songs of Hannah, who was barren just like her cousin Elizabeth, and prayed for a child and God miraculously delivered In fact, it's likely that Mary would have sung that song during her journey. She would have traveled three or four days from Nazareth to be with her cousin Elizabeth and Zechariah. That song had to be on her heart after the angel had told her that her cousin, who was in her old age, would bear a child. Mary would have known and sung the song of Deborah, and she would have certainly sung the Psalms every phrase in mary's beautiful song is reflected elsewhere in scripture it's evidence that mary's heart was saturated with the bible especially the songs of the bible which is a great reminder to all of us why musical worship is so important we take songs with us oftentimes you'll remember a song far longer than you'll remember a sermon and that's why the songs that we sing need to be accurate reflections of what is communicated in the Bible. They need to be theologically sound, as well as something that speaks to our heart. Because you'll take that song with you, so it needs to be accurate. Mary would have sung the songs of the Old Testament at every feast, at every festival, and each week in the synagogue. Mary would have known these songs, and they permeated her heart. She quotes or alludes to verses from Genesis, Deuteronomy, First and Second Samuel, Ezekiel, Micah, Habakkuk, and Zephaniah. Mary knew the Scriptures, and it comes out in this incredible song. She had been raised in a home where the Scriptures were valued. I was reminded of just how powerful that is this last spring when Becky and I were in the United States uh, during the virus, during the lockdown, and we were recording messages to send back to Prague as we were staying with our daughter. And one Sunday morning, after um, as a family, we had watched the uh, ICP church service and then the church service there locally where my daughter and her husband and family go to church. And our granddaughter Piper came up to us and said that she wanted to preach a sermon. And she wanted Grandpa to record it on video, just like he had done his own. Well, Piper went off and began to write out her sermon. And a few moments later, she came back and she was ready to deliver her message. The message that she gave was incredible. She went through all the story of the gospel. She went through Jesus' birth, Jesus' life, Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. She even had Lord's Supper for us that she had prepared. She wanted us to experience what the scriptures teach about the gospel, about the good news of Jesus. Well, after this amazing sermon, and Becky and I were just completely stunned by how beautiful it was, we asked Piper for a copy of her manuscript that she had written out. When we got the piece of paper that she had written, the only word that you could read on there was her name, Piper. You see, Piper was only six years old, and everything else written on the piece of paper was simply scribbles. But the gospel was written in her heart. Her mom and her dad had made sure that she understood the message of the Scripture, and it came out beautifully. We're so thankful as parents and grandparents that our children and our grandchildren, that their hearts and lives are saturated with Scripture. Mary was able to write this amazing song because her heart and her life was filled with God's Word. Mary's praise gives instruction to us as well. You see, Mary's song is a picture of true worship. First of all, true worship makes more of God and less of me. In in essence, that's one of the best definitions of worship that I know. True worship makes more of God and less of me. In Luke chapter 1 verse 46, Mary says, My soul magnifies the Lord. That is such a powerful phrase. And it's an accurate depiction of what worship is. My soul makes great the things of the Lord. My soul enlarges the reality of God's might, of His power, of His holiness, of His mercy. That's what Mary was writing about. Mary worships the Lord with all that she is. In in verse 46, it says, Her soul magnifies the Lord, and her spirit rejoices in God, her Savior. Mary uses soul and spirit. It reflects a common, commonly used technique within Hebrew scripture of parallelism where it takes two similar words to express emphasis and you find it all through the Bible. She's basically saying that she magnifies the Lord with all that she is. In essence, what she's saying is that she loves the Lord with all her heart, with all her soul, with all her mind, and with all her spirit. But Mary's worship is humble. She recognizes that this miracle of Jesus is not about her. She says that she is of humble estate and is herself a servant of the Lord. In fact, the word that she uses in verse 48 is doulos in the original language and it literally means a slave. Mary's song is often called the Magnificat which comes from the Latin translation of the first line my soul magnifies the Lord. And that phrase is so beautiful because it expresses what all of us are called to do. We were made to magnify the Lord. To, to magnify means that we make the Lord and what He is doing more and more visible so that others can see the greatness of who He is. The worship of Christmas is giving more attention to God and less and less attention to ourselves. That's what it means to magnify the Lord. Truth is, all of us worship. We may not worship God. We may not be religious, but we all worship. There's something in our life that we magnify. It may be ourselves. It may be something else. It may be our careers. It may be other people. It may be comfort. It could be sex. It could be money. It could be power. What are you magnifying with your life? Is it the Lord, is it yourself, or something else? We use the word magnify to explain making something appear larger. In the scripture, magnify is used to describe a change of view that allows us to see something we thought was one size but turns out to be something much larger. The ultimate use of the word magnify is in reference to God. Mary was saying that she suddenly recognized that God is so much bigger, so much greater than she ever could have imagined, and it's dawned on her in a brand new way. My soul magnifies the Lord. There are three kinds of magnification that we use. The first one is a magnifying mirror. Now, when we look into a mirror and it's magnifying, it, it shows us more and more of ourselves. And that's an example of self-worship and the danger of self-worship. The second kind of magnifying is a magnifying glass or a microscope. And what that does is it takes something small and it makes it appear larger than it is. That's, in, in a sense, an, uh, an example of false worship. It's putting our trust in something that really isn't that significant in an idol, in things that we covet, in power, in sex, in money, in reputation, in career. And we're making it out as if it was something larger. The scripture defines that as idolatry. But the third kind of magnification is a telescope. It's bringing that which is actually huge in closer for a better look, bringing heaven to earth and the God of heaven closer that we can see His greatness so that we can truly worship Him and recognize Him. That's the core purpose of our life, is to show the greatness and goodness of Jesus Christ to make who He is and what He has done more and more visible to others. The Puritans and the Catechisms express humanity's purpose this way, so that we exist to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Mary wrote the same thing when she said, My soul magnifies the Lord. We're to magnify the Lord. Have you ever thought about that as the very purpose of your life? that you and I were created and called by God to magnify Him, to make much of who He is and what He has done, and to make it more and more visible to others. When that becomes the very core desire of who we are and what we do, it changes everything. It gives us a whole different reason to live, and it gives gives us a perspective to walk through life's journeys, both the trials and the joys, with our focus not set on ourselves, not set on our circumstances, but on the great, mighty God, Jesus Himself. God has chosen and called you to reveal His heart, to reveal His good news to others. Does your character magnify the Lord? Does your love for others magnify the Lord? Does it make Him more and more visible to others? Or do they see more and more of ourselves. Luke chapter 1 verse 46, Mary says, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Now notice Mary herself tells us she needed a Savior. She needed God to rescue her from her sin. There was a myth that grew up around Mary that she was immaculately conceived and sinless throughout her life. But her very own words tell us otherwise. She confesses her need for a savior. Verse 48 goes on and says, For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. By using the phrase humble estate, she acknowledges that neither she nor her people could do anything to bring about the deliverance that they needed, the rescue from sin. In the heart, Mary was like Hannah of old, who humbly cast herself upon God as the only one who could help her. Here we are again brought face to face with the principle that Christ comes to those who recognize their need, to those who are humble, to those who are willing to lower themselves and cast all their care upon the Lord, exactly as Mary did. Mary knew the mighty God had done great things for her. Mary is indeed blessed. God had a specific mission and purpose for her life to fulfill. She was given the responsibility of caring for Jesus until he reached adulthood. But she was an ordinary woman. But Mary does have a great deal to teach us about worship. Let's go back to her song and see some more. First of all, Mary praised the Lord for what He had done for her personally. She says in verse 48, all generations will call me blessed. She would not be the one who conferred blessings, but the one who would be blessed for her role that she was chosen to do as part of God's larger plan for blessing all who trust in Him. Secondly, she praised the Lord for His mercy on those who fear Him in every generation He puts down the proud and the mighty, and He exalts and lifts up the lowly and the hungry. Finally, we see that she magnified the Lord for His faithfulness to Israel in keeping the promises that He had made to Abraham and to his descendants. Mary saw herself as part of a much bigger story, God's story, and His work amongst Israel and all who would trust in Jesus as Savior amongst the church. Part of worship is personal, what God has done for us. That's part of what we do when we sing, when we pray, when we're still. But also, it is a community of worship. We join in with the lives of others, we connect with them as part of a legacy of faith, a family of faith. That's why corporate worship is so very important. Even though right now we're separated and we're isolated, we can still worship together online. And when the doors open back up that we're able to be together, it will make our communal worship so much sweeter. Also, true worship is three-dimensional. It magnifies the power, character, and love of God. Mary sings of three divine perfections in God, His power, his perfect character, or his holiness, and his incredible mercy, or his love. She says, For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. She begins with power, the mighty God. That's the depth of worship. Mary praised God for his power, that he was able to do the impossible he has done a great thing he who is mighty has done great things for me the power of god was on display in her life for all to see for all who would look and see what god had done true worship relied on the fact that we are powerless to save ourselves we are dependent upon god and that god is incredibly good In love, He chose to come and rescue you and me from ourselves. The second focus that she magnifies is God's perfection. She says holy is His name. This is the height of worship. Mary worshiped God for His character. The word holy means to be set apart. And often in reference to God, we say that He is holy, holy, holy. He is set apart from everything He has created, from every person, from every creature. He alone is God. His character is perfect. It reflects the goodness of God, that His goodness, His character is worthy of our praise for all time. Thirdly, she magnifies His mercy. His mercy for those who fear Him, who trust Him from generation to generation. Praising God for His mercy is the breadth or width of worship. Mary exalted God for His love, for His kindness, for His mercy to those who fear Him. And she said the arms of God had reached out to all people. True worship also not only involves magnifying the Lord for His power, for His character, and for His love, True worship involves a community of believers that join together. When she talks about being worshiping the Lord from generation to generation, she's talking about the church. And Mary sees her part of a much larger group of people, a member of the family of God. She recognized that she is directly related to generations past of faith, not because of her bloodline, but because of her faith. And also, she's part of a bigger story that's yet to be seen of the many who will place their trust in Jesus Christ. You see, worship is never about us. It's not about our wants, our ideas, or our plans. It's always about God's story and the plan which includes other people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation, united together through faith in Jesus Christ. When we are well, excuse me, when we love one another as Christ has loved us, we magnify the Lord. And that's why love is the great commandment, because it's the evidence that our faith in God is real. What is more is God provided Mary with a community of believers when she needed it the most. Think about it. In, in Nazareth, Mary would have been isolated. She would have been shamed. No one would have believed her story of how an angel appeared to her, and that is how she became pregnant. No one except for Elizabeth and Zachariah. God sent Mary to their home, several day journey away, in order to strengthen Mary's faith and to prepare her for what was to come. You see, all of us need community. We need one another. We need other believers. We need the church. Mary needed Elizabeth and Zechariah. She had to have a connection with people who had a common faith, who believed that God really did do great things. She magnified the Lord because of his power, his perfection, and because of his love. He provided a family, a community of believers to strengthen her. My soul does magnify the Lord what a beautiful beautiful song what is your soul magnify? think about that this week ask the lord to show you what you are magnifying with your life with your resources with your relationships are you magnifying the lord with all that you are well Last week, I talked to you about a gift that we could give back to the Lord. And I said that my deep prayer is that I will bring joy to the Lord's heart and a smile to His face. And so I used that simple little word, smile, to to, uh, focus in on a gift that we can give back to the Lord. How we can bring a smile to His face and joy to His heart. I used the S of smile to talk about stillness. The scripture says, Be still and know that I am God. Stillness is a choice. We have to slow down and stop and focus on who God really is, to listen to what He says, to think about what He is doing, to take our minds off of ourselves and off of our circumstances and simply be in His presence. That's the first thing that we can give to the Lord. The M of smile is to meditate on His Word. This is what Mary shows us so beautifully. She had listened to God's message, to God's Word, to God's songs, and it saturated all that she was so that when she sings a song, it is filled with the scripture she had meditated on all of her life. Take time to be in God's Word, to allow it to become a part of who you are. The I of smile is intercession you see remember worship makes more of God and less of me and worship is accomplished by those who are humble and that means that we choose to focus on God and on others more than on ourselves so when we intercede when we pray for others we enter into a state of humility we take our eyes off of ourselves off of our circumstances and look towards God and the needs of others. The best way to grow in humility is to intercede, to pray for the needs of others, for those around us, for our family, for our friends, for co-workers, for neighbors, for missionaries, for the church, for whoever God places on your heart and on your life. Would you make your gift to the Lord praying for others, interceding on their behalf? The L of smile is love in action. How can you magnify the Lord today by serving the needs of others? Who would the Lord call you to encourage? Who can you serve? Who can you share with about who Jesus is and what He has done for them? Let's put God's love into action in our lives so that we magnify the Lord. Well, the final letter of smile is the E. And it's simply this, express worship. Choose to magnify the Lord for who He is. Let me encourage you to set aside time to give thanks and praise to God each and every day. And perhaps this Christmas, you could make a gift back to the Lord of writing your own song or poem. Start with Mary's words, my soul does magnify the Lord, and then you take it from there and begin to think about what God has done for you, about who He is, and write out a song or a poem that expresses your heart, that magnifies the Lord. And then let me encourage you to share that with someone else. You you can send it to us. We'd love to read it and rejoice with you. You can share it with friends, with family members. But let's bring a smile to the Lord's face by magnifying Him for who He is. If we do that with a humble heart, I'm convinced will bring joy to his heart, a smile to his face, and that this Christmas we'll have an encounter with the Lord that changes us because we'll learn more and more how to magnify the mighty God.